Whenever I visit France, I always see lots of top bottles for sale, but when I get back home, those same bottles can be much harder to find, if not impossible. That's why I use IdealWine.com. At IdealWine.com, I can buy wines directly from France for delivery directly to my home. They have new auctions every week, and the fixed price selection is equally awesome. Clos Rouchard, Chateau Reyes, and Ulysse Colon, as well as many more greats from all over France, are regularly available on the website. Best of all, it is simple and hassle-free to buy them. Ideal Wine handles all the customs and logistics hurdles for you and for me. Wines are ordered with a couple of clicks, and then they arrive. It is simple. Check out IdealWine.com for more information. That's I-D-E-A-L-W-I-N-E.com to find what you'd like to be drinking. I'm Levy Dalton, and this is All Drink to That, where we get behind the scenes of the wine business. So I'm here with Mike Kalini of Stony Hill Vineyards in Sonoma. Hello, sir. How are you? Very well, thank you. And when did you start at Stony Hill? Well, pretty much about 1972. Oh, wow. So you got a few vintages under the belt. Actually, it'll be uh, 40 years this year. Wow, 40 years. And yes, of winemaking. I was there for one year as a, as a vineyard manager the first year. How many other people around Sonoma or Napa have, have been in one winery for 40 years? I think I think we're few and far between. Uh, I was talking to Bill Sorensen. He's up at uh, Burgess, and I think he and I are pretty much tied. I don't know anyone else. And uh, so, how did you get to start there? You were working at Sterling before Stony Hill. That's correct. I, I made some wine at my grandfather's cellar back in, in Sonoma, actually, back in 1969 with some buddies, and uh, somehow I ended up. Uh, being hired by Rick Foreman and Peter Newton at Sterling back in 1970. Oh, because that's where uh, Rick Foreman used to work. That's he used correct. To work at, for Peter Newton. At that yes, time. that's right. He he was pretty much uh, the founding winemaker there. And Rick had actually worked at Stony Hill um, during uh, did an internship I think in 1968. Okay. So he knew Mr. McRae. I call him Fred now. Fred actually um, is the founder of Stony Hill Vineyard, and he's he's the, he actually told me to call him Fred. So I will use his name as Fred. And um, he founded it back in the 50s. Actually, yeah. They bought it in the 40s, and the first vines were planted in 1947. Amazing. Yeah, but anyway, I worked with uh, Rick for a couple of years there, and then um, I went off to uh, to go to, to, to do some work at Stony Hill. And I've been there ever since. So Rick kind of recommended you. How did that uh, end up happening? Fred, Fred was looking for... Well, it's kind of a funny story. I was actually... Uh, Commuted back and forth to uh, Sterling from Sonoma, and Rick knew Fred, and and there was a house available up there, and Fred was looking for someone to, uh, you know, kind of caretake uh, or just keep an eye on the place. Sure. Um, and he rented me the, uh, you know, the vineyard manager's home because he had moved out, and uh, I was living at Stony Hill but working at Sterling, which is only about a ten minute drive. Um, until the the vineyard manager became ill, and Fred had to hire a new vineyard manager. And he said, "Mikey, you're going to have to uh, move out unless you want to work for me." And I, I chose uh, the latter. Yeah. And I and I um, joined Stony Hill in 1972 as uh, vineyard manager. So you started working with the vines, and what was it like working with Fred at that time, who was making the wine? Well, yeah, Fred and, uh, had an assistant there named uh, named Bruce Rogers. Um, Fred made all the original wines from you know 1952 until uh, until he started to you know semi retire. Although he you know he was retired from the advertising business when he even started uh, Stony Hill, but um, he hired Bruce Rogers I think in 1969. But Bruce decided to leave in 1973, and that's when Fred asked me. Well, you're right. Fred went to Rick at Sterling. He said, oh, my God, you know, my, my guy's leaving. What should I do? And Rick said, Michael, make some wine for you. So uh, it was thanks to Rick, um, the guy that I actually left, um, 
uh, recommended that Fred hired me, and Fred did. And uh, well, ever since then, uh, I've been there. They and, can't get rid of me anytime soon. And what was the first vintage that you made as the winemaker? Well, you know, I worked with Fred, and, uh, and uh, the first vintage would have been 1973. Um, but, uh, you know, Fred was, you know, he was there. And, and and you know, show me what he what he liked and the style of the wine. Uh, you know, discussed when to pick the grapes as far as sugar, acid, uh, pH balance. Uh, for the first, um, let's see, 73, 74, 75, Fred passed in seventy seven. So you might cons- I might consider myself the winemaker from nineteen seventy seven on, after Fred had passed, and I worked with uh, his wife Eleanor. Sure. Um, who was co-founder, of course, um, until 1991 when she passed, and then her, her um, their children, Peter and uh, Walenda, inherited the ranch, and now I work with them. But but Peter didn't want to be so much involved in the winemaking side. Well, back in those days, Peter was still um, working for for um, Standard Oil Company. Got it, Chevron, I believe. So he he had not retired yet. So. Uh, they needed they needed me to stick around, and I was I was glad to. Yeah, yeah. I, I'd uh, I live on the property and had my family uh, raised, born and raised there, and uh, I re- you know enjoyed running the vineyard and making the wine. Sure. And it was a it's a great great fit for me and them. And uh, what were those first few vintages like in terms of what were the conditions? Well, gosh, you know, the first year, uh, 1973, was the biggest crop we ever had. I pruned the whole vineyard myself that year, and I was a little nervous because I thought that uh, I'd overcropped the vines. But it was just Mother Nature, the man up above, however you want to look at it, uh, gave us a, a great crop. And uh, the wine was perfect, really. Uh, I, I thought it was pretty light and, and lean, and nondescript, because I wasn't used to Stony Hill style. But when Fred tasted the wine, he, he said, you've got it right. Or we've got it right. Um, and that's exactly it. So he was very pleased because we had twice the amount of uh, wine that we had in the past. And uh, it was it was perfect. And, you know, I, I didn't realize it at the time because the wines that I was used to, wines that had a little more little more alcohol. Uh, of course, you know, we didn't use any brand new wood. Where at Sterling, there was a little more wood. Not much, but some. And other wines that I tasted around the valley were, you know, you know were, were more, uh, well, richer and bigger. But then uh, Fred opened some of the older vintages, and I could see where he was coming from. And uh, I said, "My God, You're, you know, uh, you were right. This is uh, this is this is this is this is what it's supposed to be." And actually, the, the '73 is a, is a delicious wine today. And what was the style of Stony Hill in terms of the winemaking? I mean, what was what was going on in the cellar then that's still going on now? What were the what was the technique? Well, really, there's, there's very little technique. You know, we consider ourselves farmers sure. uh, first and foremost. We want to bring in uh, balanced fruit, clean fruit, and then we don't we don't try to mess with it too much. You know, we uh, it's mostly barrel fermented, but we don't buy new barrels. If we do buy a few new barrels, we break them in slowly, so you really taste our soil, the minerality, um, the natural acidity. We don't necessarily pick for, uh, grapes that are uh, high in sugar, but we call them ripe because when the acid starts to drop and the pH starts to climb and the sugar is, you know, uh, sufficient, we think the vines are saying, come and get it. And, and that's when we pick. And we, you know, we again, we barrel ferment and we don't surly, we don't do ML fermenta- fermentation. We try to keep the wine as natural and um, true to our vineyard as possible. And um, it's, it, it's interesting because, you know, uh, the style is the same, and um, the winemaking is the same, but every year is a little bit different depending on the crop level, of course, the weather, you know, all those factors, which, you know, makes us, you know, not necessarily a, a formula style wine. It's, 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 it's what we get uh, from our vineyard year after year. And that vineyard, the vineyard sources are fairly high in altitude. Yes, I think they range from about 1,000 feet elevation to about 1,500, 1,600 foot elevation. Do you think that's given you grapes with higher, or maybe one of a couple reasons that's giving you grapes with higher acidity to 
Well, yes, partly, but I think it's mostly because we're, you know, our uh, our soil, of course, and the uh, and the clone helps. We have the old Winty clone, but it, oh, you oh, do, you have yes, the old Winty clone. clone. Not so many people today, right? No, no, it's you know, it's it's slightly virus. Let's face it, and and you know, I I like it, uh-huh. but um, very much. But um, you know, certain years, uh, well, generally speaking. We're, the acidity is is there because we pick the grapes before we lose it, but you see, we our our whole slope faces north west, so we get morning sun and midday sun, and we avoid avoid the uh, the uh, the heat in the afternoon sun. Oh, okay. So the you know the vines, you know, we have a kind of a a banana belt, so to speak, but a temp a temperate um, banana belt where it whereas it uh, doesn't get really hot up there. So you know, it just—it's uh, obviously we're close to Calistoga, where I believe it's too hot for Chardonnay, generally speaking, but not where we are because of the uh, the uh, exposure, the sun exposure. And day what, after day, what was Fred like as a guy? He was a fine old gentleman. I didn't mean to say old, but he was eighty, pretty much eighty when I met him, um, late seventies, and he—he uh, he was a, a great gentleman. And did you think? Uh... After he passed, or uh, as the vintages of the seventies rolled out, that Chardonnay was getting more and more popular at that time. Because when it started, uh, you know, releasing in the uh, fifties, the Chardonnay of Stony Hill, there was wasn't so many other California Chardonnays around. That's correct, and of course, it became very popular, and of course, it still is the most popular white, I believe, in the United States. But um. And, and it should be because it's you know it's a great wine, but not all grapes are considered equal. We happen to have, I think, really good grapes, and, uh, and that's the reason we're able to we're able to stick with our particular style because it, the grapes speak for themselves. There are some grapes, you know, and I want I don't mention necessarily any uh, winemakers or areas where sometimes the grapes are a little bit uh, well tropical fruity yeah and they, they need to be adjusted with some barrel or some maybe maybe the a uh, little bit of ml fermentation to make the wines balanced well that's we don't have to do that we don't like to do that and we've never ha- we've never done it because we like uh, and our customers like um our style of wine do they let you know that i have i have been i have i was mentioned once in 1980 it was after the a couple of drought years 76 77 i, I traded some barrels and uh, a couple of our customers noticed there was a little touch of oak in there. Oh, they commented on it. Well, a, a few of them did, yes. And and uh, I thought you weren't going to put any oak in that wine, Mike. I said, "Well, sorry, Doc. Uh, there's just a little touch. I had to buy some new barrels." Okay, <laughs> but anyway, um, no. Uh, our customers are, are are familiar with our style, and and because you know because it's a food wine, it's a wine you can lay down for years if you like. Um, they're used to having a particular style, and we wouldn't. We would never change that. And one of the things that's interesting about Stony Hill is that most of the sales historically have been through the mailing list, as opposed to the the kind of distribution system. Uh, you know, you guys sell to some distributors, some restaurants, but a lot of it's gone through the mailing list historically. Uh, do you think that's given you a closer read on uh, kind of what exactly your customer is and who they are? Well, without a doubt, because generally speaking, our wines. Are more interesting after a, a several years in the bottle, and most of our customers would like to uh, try a, a bottle when it first comes out, and then, of course, um, sometimes they lay them down for ten years before they even try them, which you know I think is kind of a mistake in some years. But uh, for instance, a restaurant can't do that, so it it, it does it does make it easy for us to stick with that particular style. Because the people you know that they know what they're getting. Most most of our customers and friends know exactly that. Uh, hey, you can drink them when it's young; it's pretty good. But uh, there's a little, there's some, uh, more gratification when you open, let's say, a five or eight or ten year old Chardonnay that that's just coming around and uh, kind of impress your friends. Sometimes your friend, their friends will say, "I thought we were your friend. Why are you opening this old stuff up?" And they and they and they, they can be surprised. So it's it's something that uh, it's kind of fun for our customers, but also. Mostly, it's just the uh, the character of the wine seems to improve um, over age. Little by little, uh, the, it becomes a little richer, more complex. So, 
we're going to stick with that style. And what was it like during the period of the maybe 90s or early 2000s when other styles were being broadly acclaimed? Was that kind of a rough feeling to to see your uh, popularity in the the press kind of uh, go uh, unchampioned? Well, I'm going to be careful what I say about what we think about the press. Yeah. Because, uh, you know, uh, <clears throat> actually I read them and, and, and quite often I'll, if I'm looking for a particular wine, I will, I will, I will read that and, and read those. And I will, generally speaking, pick a wine from what I read from how they're rated on occasion. No, uh, you know, we, we uh, again, back when I first started at Stone Hill, there was actually a waiting list to even get on a mailing list. Yeah. And that, you know, was back in the day where there, were, where there weren't a lot of Chardonnays. And uh and we were able to ship to any state, of course. That was another little uh, glitch in, in our business when uh, we were shut down from certain areas where you could ship direct. It was about 15, 20 years ago. So we lost a few customers. But nevertheless, uh, we weren't about to change our style because, again, every once in a while I would buy a new barrel. Yeah. And I would put the wine in that barrel and I would taste it yeah. um, um, by itself. And I said, oh, my God, this is not, this is not Stony Hill. Of course, I would blend that back in uh, complete uh, with the, the, but I said, no, it's not going to work for us. It doesn't work for our grapes. It will not work for our customers. And more power to the people who were, who were getting and doing very well with, uh, you know, their, their big buttery style of wines. And I think there's a place for the, for those wines. Obviously there is, but, um, it's not our style. And when do you usually, uh, recommend starting to open a bottle of Stony Hill Chardonnay? What would make sense in terms of really starting to get an appreciation of the wine? Well, generally speaking, um, if I was to buy a case, I would, the minute I got it, I would open a bottle. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, you know, maybe one bottle a year uh, and, and see how it's, how it's progressing. But a lot of our friends wait five years before they even try it because they just know. And not every year is going to do that, but generally they all do. We went through, uh, we had a, a period of time where some of the wines did not hold up. What what was that roughly? That would have been uh, see in 1986 we tore out we had to tore out tear out excuse me our original uh, vineyards. I see. We called number one and number two, and they really made the best wines. They were planted in in the 40s, but they started to uh, decline. And being dry farmers, uh, you know, a vine uh, had a little Pierce disease or a little Utapa, and we tried to replace it. Um, it was very difficult to replace a vine um, with his all their big brothers taking up all the moisture and nutrients. And finally, enough of them were kind of, kind of going to the wayside. We decided to tear that vineyard out. Subsequently, the 87, 88, and 89 did not have any um, of, of the old uh, original fields, which I, two things happened, I believe. And those fields are the best fields, but also the fact that their age uh, at that at that point was well planted in forty seven to eighty seven. They were they were they were just they were really in their pr- well the end of their prime, but they really produced the most interesting fruit. And those wines, um, you know, the, the 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 most longevity as well. What they had is kind of what I call a delicate power. Even when they were young, you could they had the viscosity and 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 the in the, uh, in the finish that well just pretty much unparalleled. In 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 um, in Chardonnay in in Napa Valley, but uh, we replanted in in, in eighty seven and about ninety three and ninety four ninety five they, they they came back into production. Now those wines are, are are again holding up a little a little better. But you know the eighty the eighty seven eighty eight wines some people still like them very much. They just they just kind of went went south in my opinion uh, before the rest. Whereas the 63 and 64, 65 uh, Chardonnays are still are still young and delicious. Which is, is kind of a rare thing to say. Well, it's very rare, yes. No California yes. Chardonnay. California, yeah. I think there's not very many that would do that. I'm not sure there are any. that uh, From 64, I'm not sure who else was making Chardonnay then. And uh, what is the vine age now on average for the Chardonnay? I would say 20 to 25 years now. Yeah. Yes. And you make some other great varieties. Uh, you make Riesling. What's that like? We make a Riesling, yes. Um, we made a Riesling back in the old days. It was bone dry. But when I first started, we decided to put just a little teeny bit of residual sugar in it. So it's 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 a, more of a German style. It's not very sweet. It has less than 1% sugar. 
that we pick it, you know, maybe 21, 22% sugar. So the, uh, the acids are very high and the pH is very low. And I stopped the fermentation around 1%. Okay. So it, it you know, it, it has a little bit of perfume, a little bit of flour and, and a lot of recent character. And it, uh, it ages very well, but it's, it's, uh, you know, the people uh, in the panhandle all along Texas uh, to Florida, they um, they call it their summer sipping wine. Okay. But it's actually very good food wine as well with certain with certain types of cuisines. We love it with uh, Dungeness crab, of course, but there's certain other foods that it, that it really goes well with. It's very popular. And recently you also planted some Cabernet? We, we, we did plant some Cabernet. We have a, a one field on the very top of our vineyard up about 1,600 foot elevation, that has a, a different slope. It actually, it, it, it faces southwest. And we had Chardonnay up there, and we didn't like it. So we uh, we, we put in five acres of Cabernet, and it's doing very well. And what it was, was, it was planted, excuse me, it was planted in uh, 04, and the first, uh, the first real crop off of it would have been 2009, and we just, just currently released it. And what's it like working with Cabernet again? Well, I love, uh, you know, I'm I'm a Irish Italian. You have to have a little red wine around, and I, you know, I, and of course Cabernet is king. Let's face it, in Napa Valley, and uh, it's a lot of fun. You know, you get to ha- have your hands turn red at the end of the season, like they used to, <laughs> and uh, you know, there's a lot a lot of foods that we like that that, that uh, you have to have a glass of red wine around now you can have a few more steaks at dinner with your wife uh, yeah you know pasta you know whatever uh, um that uh the italians and well anyone really really uh you know uh, uh, one of my my favorite sayings is you know man cannot live on white wine alone so uh cabernet is what we chose to plant up there and it's actually doing very well and uh you know that's one of the changes at Stony Hill, but what have been some of the changes in the area in general? I mean, over 40 years, what have you seen in the, the broader zone that's either surprised you or that you just took note of? Well, you know, a lot of people came in that had visions of grandeur um, and they planted certain varieties because it seemed to be a popular variety, um, but they didn't, they didn't plant them in the right places and the wines did not do well. For instance, Pinot Noir, in certain areas where it was way too warm because it was very popular, say 25, 30 years ago, it was up and coming and, and still is, but people have found out as, as our compatriots in Europe found out many years ago that there's certain areas you just, you don't grow certain grapes and uh, in Napa Valley and Sonoma, they're figuring that out little by little. And uh, I, I think the wine quality has, uh, has gone up many fold. Because people have figured out um, <coughs> where and where not to plant certain grapes. On the other hand, um, a lot of this bigger is better um, has 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 taken over some of the industry, and it's something that Stony Hill won't get involved in. For instance, our Cabernet is going to will be, you know, it's more of a restrained style. It's going to be a food wine, not necessarily. Uh, you know, we keep the alcohol below. 14% generally. I mean, it could get close, but uh, a lot of the, uh, the, the the new wave winemakers are making wines that are, you know, higher in alcohol and very delicious and rich, but not what we consider our style. And <clears throat> how, how, what is the total production of Stony Hill in terms of cases from a year to year basis? Well, again, we're, uh, you know, we're faced with, uh, Weather conditions because we're dry farmers. Again, we don't really have we don't make formula style wine, so we're it depends on the year. But I would say, generally speaking, we do about uh, five thousand cases. Very small. So that's pretty small. Very small. And you're still owned by the same original family. That helps. Do uh, you think that if it had gone corporate, you, it probably would have expanded in case size? Well, I think anybody who who would have to pay the price what it might be worth today. Yeah. Would have to, unless they just were having too much fun and didn't care about making money. But you know, it would it would be problematic because uh, I think most of the really plantable land um, there's 40 acres planted on a total of 160 acres, and there, we could probably double that if we if we wanted to. 
but it wouldn't be the best soil in the best areas. And, you know, we might have some erosion problems or maybe have to irrigate. And it would, ch- it would change everything. And a lot of that other area is forest? Yes, it's very forested. We have um, a lot of oak and madrone and uh, redwoods and Douglas fir. Big forest. It's, you know, it's we're on the... Uh, on the spring mountainside, so there's a lot of moisture in the soil, so there's very big forests. Are there other winemakers that uh, have inspired you along the way in, in the same or even to some degree in the way that uh, Fred did? Were there other people that really stood out for you? I mean, obviously, Rick was an early influence and a real connection for you, but are there other people that you were drawn to as well? I can't say, I can't say that. I think you know everybody has their own little niche, and uh, you know, they're all my friends. A lot of the guys are, again, bigger Bigger is better, and uh, we don't go there. I believe the, uh, I'm not trying to emulate um, the Europeans, but some of the European winemakers that are holding to their, their original uh, style and character of, 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 uh, of their wines, this is something that I would strive to uh, emulate. Sure. And uh, if I were to open a bottle of, of Stony Hill Chardonnay, uh, what would I normally like to be eating it with? You know, given if given if it were at maturity. Well, oddly enough, if you have an older Stony Hill, you can have that virtue with anything. Yeah, there's a, there's a lot of, uh, as I said, a delicate power to it, and people have it with steak. But you know, I, I like an older one with uh, with uh, game bird, um, Poussin. With a rich sauce, um, obviously, uh, younger ones do better with uh, lighter style fish, fish and shellfish dishes. Um, but you know, our, our wines are pretty well well balanced. They go with almost anything. I, I can't. I like to cook and I like to eat, but uh, as far as wine pairing, I think it's. I, I, I have a I have a difficulty um, difficult time trying to pick. Uh, every once in a while, you get something. You go, "Oh my God, that is exactly what you wanted." Other times, you just uh, enjoy the wine with, along with the food. So our our our, uh, our style of wine is is uh, is to go with food. And you know, you you're someone who has had a long <clears throat> career, but uh, you didn't start at the UCD model. You didn't go to Davis uh, as uh, maybe a younger generation might have uh, coming up. Do you felt? Did you feel that that in a way benefited or uh, hamstrung you in any way? Well, you know, um, I would say yes because you know, it's uh, it's nice to have my son. My son became a winemaker, and he went he went to uh, he finished up at Cal Poly, and uh, he asked me questions that I have no idea what he's talking about. <laughs> and I've done some short courses at UC Davis, and sometimes I get lost um, listening to what. Doctor, what's his name? Is up had, had had to say, but um, when you learn how to make wine hands on, you learn that timing is everything, cleanliness is everything, and uh, as long as you don't have problems, bacterial problems or microbiological problems, and you have good grapes, um, you're at an advantage because you uh, you 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 use instinct and timing, and of course your your taste to uh to make your decisions and uh, it helps besides 1973 and the vintages for another reason of the late 80s are there other vintages that really stood out for you over the course of your career either because they were a pain in the ass or because they were super easy or because they presented something that was unique there's been some years i like better than others yes you know and, and it, it it depends you know 1980 was uh, it was a little too hot and the acidities dropped um for some reason, um, ninety the ninety one vintage is is uh, very Chablis like and tart and young and uh, oh, the O one is is uh, I think a, a long lived wine. Um, there's a few vintages in there that I just happen to like the character of it. Now whether because maybe I left them on the lees a little too long or something, and 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 the character uh, comes out a little uh, Monarchet like or uh, almost Merceau like. But uh, not not really. I think that you know, compared to our compatriots uh, again in uh, in Europe, nineteen seventy two was a diff- difficult vintage. 
Um, and 2011 was difficult. You know, uh, uh, rains at the wrong time. But that's a span of 40 years. If you can't, uh, if you can't take a couple of vintages that are difficult in 40 years, well, you're obviously in the wrong business. Um, you know, our friends in uh, in Germany and and Italy and France, they have difficult uh, uh, seasons virtually every year. So, no, we're very lucky here. Very lucky. And you also make a little Semillon and Gewürztraminer. Is that true? Yes, we do. We make a little Gewürztraminer. We make it, um, we used to call it Alsatian style, but it's, it's you know, it's our style. It's bone dry. We pick it, uh, pick the grapes around 20% sugar, 21. So the alcohols are usually pretty low in the acidity. I keep it fairly high. But it seems to me the Alsatians are making heavier and heavier and sweeter and sweeter wines. And I, I would say we're more like Austrian now, but still we're Stony Hill. The wine's very, um, slightly spicy, but very light and crisp. And it ages very well as well. But it's a great food wine. goes well with, with um, spicy foods. And uh, it happens to be my wife's favorite wine. So uh, I, I enjoy making it. I feel like when I talk to you, you have a lot of familiarity with the wines that you've made, whereas sometimes when I talk to winemakers, they don't know necessarily the back vintages so well because maybe they was all sold and they don't still have some. But it sounds like you get a chance fairly frequently to open up something from the cellar. A few, yeah, a few bottles. We generally, we're generally sold out, but I, you know, I always I'll keep a couple hidden here and there. Um, again, one of the reasons I was drawn to your show, I, I, I happen to like the name of your show. Yeah, yeah. So I uh, quite often I I do have a little taste of this or that. And you grow semillon. We do have a small uh, semillon field, and we make sort of a unique wine out of it. We pick it, um, generally speaking, at the end of the season, and uh, be- before the raccoons and the bees start to eat too much of it. And I lay it out on prune trays, and we and we usually de- dehydrate it for about a week, week and a half, depending on the on the on the. Uh, the sunshine that time of year is usually in uh, September, October. And for instance, we probably pick the grapes at 24% sugar. We dehydrate them to 34% sugar. And then I try to stop the fermentation around 12 or 13% alcohol, which leaves about 10%. Um, so it's a dessert wine with a fairly decent amount of acidity. So it's like a sauterne, but without um, botrytis. And when uh, Rick Foreman went to start for Foreman Winery, as opposed to Sterling, when he did his own venture, he made a non-mallow Chardonnay. Do you think that that was um, kind of an homage to what had happened at Stony Hill, or was that his own decision-making, or is that just the kind of wine that he liked and maybe you also liked at that time? Or Well, I think you're right. Yeah, I think, well, you know, Rick, Rick no, t- has tasted uh, wines from Europe, and he, he likes balanced wines. And I think he might have experimented once or twice with, uh, you know, a, a certain percentage of ML in some of his wines, his whites, and decided it did, didn't work. Um, he happens to like, you know, a good natural acidity. And obviously, uh, in, in Europe, especially Burgundy, quite often they pick the grapes and there's so much acidity, they need to go through a little ML fermentation to, you know, to balance the wines out. Whereas in California, we have an abundance of sugar but not always a lot of acidity. So uh, it's I'm of the opinion, and so was Fred and Peter, and all, all of us at Stony Hill, and I believe Rick, is if you have your natural acidity, why, why uh, well, let's let somebody take it away from you. Um, of course, you can readjust it if you, if you like, if you need to, but we just don't see that that is the best um, for our style of wine. <laughs> But you know there are there are some grapes that uh, sometimes you know the uh, the Chardonnay grapes that don't have a whole lot of uh, character to them, and a little ML fermentation gives them a little creaminess and, and builds up some character. And so I think it's important for certain winemakers um, from certain vineyards to uh, to go ahead and, and do that. But for us, it does not work. And what have you seen as the vines have gotten a bit older? You know, you replanted now they're about 20, 25 years old. Mm-hmm. Um, has there been a gradual shift and say the level of minerality is coming through in the wines? I believe know? so. But a lot of people don't don't believe that to be true. But I think, you know, especially us as dry farmers, the deeper the roots go, the healthier the vine is. And I think the more minerality you were able to pick up. Not every particular field. We have um, 17 different parcels at Stony Hill. And there's some have more minerality than others. Um, 
but uh, definitely, I think that I I do feel that that the vines pick up character from the from the deep the deep roots. And how does the family feel about how things have gone for the last forty years? Um, it's still family owned by the McRae's. Uh, now Peter has his own uh, daughter uh, that works in the Sarah, sales yeah. side yeah. with you, and so. Are they happy with the continuation of a legacy? I believe they are. I, 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 you know, I, whenever I see them, everybody's generally in a pretty good, pretty good spirits. They haven't asked you to leave the house yet. No, no, not yet. No, uh, it's you know, it's been a good fit. You know, Peter, Peter, and Melinda and Sarah. Sarah's only there a few days a week, and we have Courtney in the office. Um, they, um, they're they're always in the office and always in good spirits. And I, you know, I stop in every once in a while. And uh, check in, but you know I'm generally out in the vineyard in the in the uh, in the winery. But no, uh, we have fun. Is we, there, we work hard, but we have we 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 make sure we have fun while we're at it. If there was an opportunity to grow another grape variety, uh, you know, at a, a commercial level, what might that be? I mean, just hypothetically, what would you enjoy to make that maybe you don't get a chance to make now? Well, I think I mentioned to you uh, when I was in uh, Montalcino, I, I was up there in uh, in Italy, in Tuscany, and I and I saw this beautiful red, deep red soil with uh, Sangiovese Grosso, and uh, and I was thinking, wow, that would be perfect. But uh, you know, it's that'd be a labor of love, and uh, it doesn't sell so well here. It'd be fun to try just a, a barrel or two. Um, you know, happen to like the wine. Um, Brunello's from uh, from that neck of the woods, but uh, and I think we could make a good one. We do make a little Syrah. We've been we've been experimenting with Syrah. Um, I'm not certain Syrah is perfect for our neck of the woods, but we're going to find out. I made a couple, and we've been enjoying them. I just made a couple of barrels. We haven't sold it, but for just home use and mm-hmm. experiment. Yes, but uh, I would you know we, we might put a little uh, you know a couple other varieties of uh, Bordeaux blends up there maybe a little touch of Merlot in this lower part of the field where it's it it, uh, it might not be warm enough for Cabernet and maybe blend a little and maybe Cabernet Franc but I don't think so I think we we kind of like the Cabernet the way it is because that's still a developing project in terms of it's fairly new so yes still yes, filling it yes, out yes exactly um, the uh, the 2012 which is one we just made. Is really like coming around now that the, the the vines are let's see, eight years old. Is that right? <laughs> They're really starting to show some some uh, some more character and, and a little less of that that which I do like. I like a little touch of uh, that green that you you get in the in the old school cabernets, and we have a little a little touch of that characteristic. This one has has have a little less and a little more more complex um, character. And so it's 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 going to be fun. Have your customers on the mailing list snapped up the cab? You know, usually you've been a white wine house. Is the red sold well, all the way through? Oh yes, no, it sold out in no time. You know, and you know, mostly because it. Uh, well, we only had a couple hundred cases, and uh, we'll we'll see. I, we've had nothing but great um, reviews and comments, because again, it, it's it's Stony Hill style. It's a restrained style, under fourteen percent alcohol. I think it's a wine that you can probably lay down for quite a while as well, even though the vines were only um, five years old or six when we we made the 09. Um, it's, it's, it has a nice fruit character to it, just a little teeny bit of mountain tannins, little dry tannins, and, uh, and a, a lot of, uh, I call it black cherry fruit. And even though I did use some new wood in it, not, not a lot, but 30%, 30 40% new wood, um, it's it, the fruit's holding up very well, and it's been well received. We'll see. You know, it just has. To, we have to see how how it goes. But we have another five acres up there. We could we could plant into into great uh, to Cabernet, which would give us ten acres, which would make you know quite a few cases. And uh, are there restaurants that have worked with Stony Hill for a long period of time that if someone were thinking to themselves, hey, you know, I've never had the opportunity to try an old bottle of Stony Hill. Are there restaurants that will come to mind for you that have been long-term clients that someone might go to in America to find such a wine? Well, originally Trader Vic's would have been. Yeah. Uh, Vic de Bergeron he was, was one of our first customers, and he loved our wine. But uh, that's that's uh, not really uh, the same as, as it used to be, as you well know. 
Um, oddly enough, our, our friends at Press, a brand new restaurant. Yeah. He's he's gone out and searched and found old cellars, and he, he has quite a, a few bottles of older Stony Hills. And I've had people call me up uh, who had been there for dinner and said, my God, where, how did you make this wine? You know, and they found it at, at Press Restaurant. But uh, Kelly and Scott, the sommeliers. Oh, yes. Uh, they're great. Yes. Yeah. And, Kelly's and, super nice. Oh, they're great people. And uh, and they have great vision. And uh, they've, it's been great for Stony Hill as well. Um, but, you know, they're few and far between. You know, most restaurants, um, again, we have a few people, you know, that are new sommeliers that are, that are really into it. And they, 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 they've been buying up our wine. The French Laundry, for instance, you know, I, uh, they, they, they bought up a lot of our old Rieslings that we had, that I had stashed for myself. And uh, they found them and we sold them. But they're, but they're little by little gone. And have you found that younger sommeliers have come knocking more frequently and saying, hey, uh, this is more along what I'm looking for? Well, than- yes. You know, again, uh, it's, it's difficult because a lot of them really enjoy the wines that are, say, four or five or 10 or even 20 years old. Like the laundry, especially, they were looking for uh, 20, 30 year old Rieslings. And uh, I believe they were part of their by the glass um, program. Um, But um, so it's hard to really get them the quantity that they really would like. No, they, yeah. And we, you know, we just didn't have it. We had a few stashed that I would just, I kept just to see how the wines held up. And, And they were pretty interesting wines, I have to say. We had half a dozen cases of the '92 Riesling that we uh, that I had hidden underneath a bunch of other cases, and somehow they found them, <laughs> and they're gone. But that's all right. Do we- winemakers from other countries ever come uh, to visit and see what you're doing in terms of being a benchmark, and not just historic, but very uh, continuous style of? Riesling, Chardonnay, Gewürztraminer. I mean, did Germans ever come? to Austrians ever? We've come? had a few people come in, yes, and I, I, but they don't. They didn't really know about us, generally speaking. But uh, they, uh, most people with a European palate like our like our wine. Um, I'm not sure that's good or bad, but you know, we don't really hardly sell a lot of wine down in uh, in Los Angeles. I don't know why. We're just trying to get into the Los Angeles market. There's so much good food down there and great restaurants but somehow we haven't we haven't fit in and i, I i'm not sure what the palate is down there whether it's bigger as be, as better or something down there but i'm not trying to downgrade los angeles no offense but uh well we just, if you live in los angeles you should give mike a call <laughs> give us a try yes but uh generally generally uh people with it that, that are even in new york we do very well now because people have more european palates not that we're trying to be European. It just that's our sort of what our wines are, are are closer to. Do more and more young people who are into winemaking want to be winemakers themselves? Uh, show up to see what you're doing, and maybe a stage or internship. We have a lot of new people interesting interested in in our style. Yes, absolutely. And when did that start to? When did that it, start to it, just change? recently? Because yeah, because you know, uh, in the last five or six years, again, uh, most young people, and my son is included, are um, in the bigger is better, and quite often, uh, you know, I and I can see where they're coming from because some, you know, those those, those nice jammy, delicious cabernets and zinfandels, they're a lot of fun. They're delicious, but um, sometimes, you know, I just don't think the people who like that wine so much are very serious about food and wine. Um, they're just enjoying the uh, the experience of tasting the wine, and but what, I might be wrong. No, what what uh, advice did you give to your own son when he said to you, "Hey, Dad, I, I want to be like you. I want to be a winemaker." What'd you tell him? It was great. Yeah, why not? You know, he was he he uh, he, he went to uh, college for a couple of years and wasn't sure what he was up to, and somehow he uh, he got the bug, and I was glad for him. He's he, he's done really well. He's a winemaker here in uh, in Santa Elena now. He's uh, he does consulting with uh, Bob Pepe's firm. Okay, sure. So he's he's all over the place. So he's uh, seeing a lot of vineyards, a lot of different styles of wine. And and, and Bob's uh, Bob's a good winemaker. He 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 makes to me makes civilized wines. <laughs> sure. Uh, would you say it's gotten harder or easier to break into the winemaking trade in California over the last forty years? 
well over the last four years, maybe it's a little easier, but for the last 15 years, it was very difficult. A lot of people, a lot of people graduating from Davis looking for jobs. Um, you know, jobs were, uh, you know, the economy kind of slowed and uh, people weren't rehiring so much. And a lot of winemakers have been sticking with what they've been doing for some uh, a period of time. People like yourself? <laughs> yes. Well, you know, I'm, I, I'm not going anywhere anytime soon, as I said, but um, I, I was very lucky back in the day that uh, there were for, well, only you know, a handful of wineries in, 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 in my town in Sonoma and uh, not many more here. And that's what moved me from uh, Sonoma to here, the up and coming uh, wine business back in the early 70s. So I was very lucky to, uh, well, to, get, to, to be at the right place at the right time and have the right teachers. And and you knew kind of right away that that was for the long term. I mean, did you ever think to yourself, oh, maybe in ten years I'll leave and try something else? Or I don't think I I, I ever thought about doing something else. You know, I was having so much fun. Yeah, and it was hard work when I first started. You know, I pruned the whole branch and I did all the cultivating and tractor work and sulfuring and all that, and I loved it. Go figure. And I, I was a new father at the time, and uh, I still live on the property, so. Uh, I get up in the morning, have a cup of coffee, and I watch Today Show. No offense to the poor people that have to do this, but you, you, you're watching the uh, the commute and saying, "Oh, don't don't take six eighty today." And I get on my, well, I walk out the door and I'm at work. So I, I, you know, it's I do take that for granted. But uh, do you think that I mean, just in a practical sense, gave you a big advantage in the sense that you didn't have to uh, ever leave the vineyard? I mean, you're right there. You never had to not know what was, you always knew what was going on with it because it was right outside. I think it helped a little bit, but it was definitely uh, an advantage personally. You know, I could, I could do whatever, I, whatever if I could work. Uh, I worked at night sometimes. I'd go out and sulfur in, in, in the middle of the night. And uh, if I wanted to, I could sleep in if I wanted to. And uh, I, I have lunch with my wife every day and my family. Uh, it was just mostly a, a personal benefit. And if there, uh, if there was a young guy making a wine today, you know, sometimes we hear about uh, people experimenting with different grape varieties or areas that are less fashionable, and they're not getting a lot of market traction, uh, you know, yet. Maybe they will in the future. Who knows? Uh, what, what, are, what kind of advice would you give to someone uh, who maybe wasn't popular in the market today, but maybe could be tomorrow? Well, I believe you should stick with the, uh what you like and and stick with it it's difficult though because you know there's a lot of really good wine out there and if you don't get a break or the right hype or you know somebody that, that, that reads about it or tastes the wine and gives it a high rating which doesn't seem quite fair in, in a lot of ways um but don't but don't uh don't change your your your, your style i mean it's, it's going to be you if, if, if it doesn't work better look for something else what do you think about the explosion of options on the supermarket shelf in terms of wine it just seems like there's so much more than would have been available you know not not uh not just when fred got started but when you got started uh what's that seem like now compared to how it used to be well i think it's fine it's america you know only the strong survive that's. I mean, I like the American way. If if, if you ca- if you can't uh, can't make it, um, well, you, again, move on. Um, it, 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 there's a lot of choices. You're, you're right, and sometimes I have a hard time making making a decision myself. Because you know, this certain time of year, I'll go out and buy. I like to buy a couple of cases of bubbly for you know for Christmas time, and uh, there's an awful lot of uh, price differences and and um, obviously uh, choices. It's it's, it's tough. But uh, generally speaking, you know, I, I'll buy a bottle and try it. That'll that'll work. And uh, sometimes it doesn't. Don't go back. Are there wines that you found over the years that you particularly enjoy? Uh, you know, certain uh, chateau or brand names that you want to feel comfortable mentioning that you you like at home? Well, of course, uh, there's my favorite wine would be uh, Latour Chateau Latour. Sure, I've been lucky enough to taste the great vintages going back to the turn of the century. But uh, I can't afford them. <laughs> uh, but I, generally speaking, I I, I would uh, because I'm on a winemaker's salary. I, I I drink a lot of Italian reds and uh, Southern France 
Reds. Um, Zinfandel's from uh, Sonoma County. And uh, you know some of the whites from Sonoma County as well. More northern Sonoma County. Um, sorry, buddies, but I, I don't drink a whole lot of Napa Valley wines. So it feels like a strange question to ask for a winery that has been known for uh, continuity for 40 years, but what is going to happen? What is going to be new at Stony Hill? Well, I, th- I believe the winemaking style and uh, the vineyards going to keep being, will be the same. But uh, now we have Sarah McRae um, on board. She's, she's, we've started a wine club and we have uh, some friends that uh, are part of a uh, public relations uh, program. So we're, we're, um, um, you know, just trying to make sure everybody knows we're still there. And Peter and Melinda um, are, you know, do, do, do a lot of entertaining at the, uh, at, at the winery tours and tastings. And we do a few dinners for, for friends. And we do, a, a, again, a wine club uh, party a couple times a year. So, uh, you know, Sarah has, has a lot of new ideas. And it's great to have a, a young blood. And uh, she seems to be having a good time. So we're going to uh, I'll just keep, keep doing what we're doing. Cheers. Mike Cellini, he's been sticking to what he knows best for 40 years as the winemaker at Stony Hill Vineyards. Thank you, sir. It's a pleasure. All Drink to That is hosted and produced by myself, Levy Dalton. Aaron Scala has contributed original pieces. Editorial assistance has been provided by Bill Kimsey. The show music was performed and composed by Rob Moose and Thomas Bartlett. Show artwork by Alicia Tenoyan. T-shirts, sweatshirts, coffee mugs, and so much more, including show stickers, notebooks, and even gift wrap are available for sale if you check the show website, alldrinktothatpod.com. That's I-L-L, drinktothatpod.com, which is the same place you'd go to sign up for our email list or to make one of the crucially important donations that help keep this show operating. You can donate from anywhere using PayPal or Stripe on the show website. Remember to hit subscribe or to follow this show in your favorite podcast app, please. That's super important to see every episode. And thank you for listening.